to Nonprofit Lowdown. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Rhea Wong. In this podcast, I recommend a book, tool, tip, podcast, or resource that has helped me to build a multi-million dollar nonprofit organization. I've done the research, so you don't have to. Let's get started. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome once again to Nonprofit Lowdown with me, your host, Rhea Wong. Today, I'm here with my dear friend, Dr. Carrie Ann Rockmore. We are going to talk all about founders and what happens when you mm. leave an organization. There are lots of feelings involved with it, and today, Carrie Ann is going to walk us through her personal story and journey. Welcome, Carrie Ann. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you. Oh, so excited to have you. So tell me a little bit about yourself and the organization that you founded. I was a professor for most of my professional life, my early career, and became a professor when I was 26 years old. And... And it was, I had a really difficult transition going from being a graduate student to being a faculty member, especially because I was so young and I really struggled. And it wasn't because I didn't have any mentors. I had always had an assigned mentor. They were very nice people. They wanted me to succeed, but my mentors always told me what to do and not how to do it. (laughs) So I just couldn't get my needs met. Everything turned out okay. I was successful, but it just struck me that it was way too hard for people to get the mentoring that they needed. And the Mm -hmm. whole model of all of this really important secret knowledge about your field gets passed between two individuals. And that to me just seemed incredibly inefficient. Mm -hmm. And it was really clear to me that some people were getting great mentoring mostly those who are white and male, and other people were getting very superficial level mentoring, certainly no sponsorship. So, And those were mostly women and faculty of color. So once I got tenure, I just really wanted to rethink the way we do mentoring and really just completely find a model that's not dependent on an individual relationship and whether somebody likes you or not, or sees you as a younger version of themselves, or knows even how to be a good mentor. I left my tenured faculty position in 2010 to start an organization that was dedicated to helping particularly women and faculty of color get all the mentoring they needed. And really the model was to take it out of this individual relationship, to develop an online platform, to really get clear about what the information that was regularly getting passed about how to be successful as an academic, and to make that available to everyone. (laughs) So take all that secret knowledge out of the individual relationships and make it really readily available and make it available on demand when people need it. That was the model. And as it turns out, lots of people really wanted to get their mentoring in that way. And so we grew really, really quickly. The organization now serves 112,000 faculty at more than 450 colleges and universities. So I think we hit on something that people really like. (laughs) Yeah, resonated with a lot of folks. Yes. So many questions before we delve into what happens when you leave an organization, because (laughs) You know, recently we've been having a lot of conversation with women of color in particular about the challenges of leading, particularly in your space, leading in academia, which tends to be, let's say, less diverse Mm -hmm. than a lot of spaces. And so I'm just wondering, you mentioned sponsorship and mentorship. What's the difference in your mind? 
to me, mentorship is really sharing the kinds of information about how to be successful. Sponsorship for me is totally different. In my mind, sponsorship is when people who have power and influence really shape the story about you and your work when people are talking about you and you're not there, right? Mm -hmm. So there are people who are influencers or people whose opinions matter and how they talk about you, how they frame you, the story that they create around you, you know, it can be positive or negative. And when someone sponsors you, guess what? They're creating a powerful story about you that leads to opportunities, that leads to all kinds of things. But more than anything, it leads to shaping your reputation with other people in my world who are going to vote on your tenure. It's especially important because that's what happens when people go up for tenure. A group of their colleagues go in a room, close the door, talk about them, and then they write down on a piece of paper, yes or no. And those votes are anonymous and nobody has to explain their vote. (laughs) Terrible. (laughs) That is so nerve-wracking. It's like the worst version of like fifth grade class president voting ever. it's, It's like the perfectionist nightmare. You can do everything you can do to have a great record of research and grant funding and you can be an amazing teacher and somebody can still write down no and they don't have to explain it. You don't even know who wrote it down. And this isn't just like a vote that's going to get you a raise. This is a vote about whether you have a job for the rest of your life or you have to go do something else for your life. Mm. So anytime a decision is based on an anonymous vote for which no one is held accountable, there's a whole lot of room for bias a whole lot of room for subjectivity, a whole lot of room for a lot of mess. And that's why part of the importance of sponsorship is there's people in the room who can shape the story about you. And hopefully they will have shaped the story for many years leading up to that vote. But it's also the case that part of the mentoring is learning how to navigate these incredibly challenging relationships with people who have more power than you and who Mm -hmm. frankly are gonna play a role in deciding your future in a really concrete way. As you've started this organization, have you noticed that more folks of color and women of color have been in tenured positions? Like is it working? Yeah, we have a we have a very good track record of people who work closely with us, especially in our we have one very intensive 12-week program, those people are getting tenure. (laughs) Part of it is because we're taking that holistic approach. So we're teaching them how to be highly productive, how to navigate those relationships, and most importantly, how to have a life, how to really take care of themselves in a way that we want them to be highly productive, but we also want them to be healthy and happy. It's interesting because I my the entire body of my work has been with students of color and mm-hmm. supporting low-income students of color to and through college. And I know that so much of the success of an individual student depends on whether or not they have a professor or an advisor mm-hmm. looking out for them and particularly someone who looks like them and they yeah. can identify with. So I think it's critical both in the field of academia, but also in thinking about student success. Yes. It's funny you say that because the reason I became a professor was because I had a mentor who was an African-American woman 
And I did not, she was one of my professors and I did not, I didn't meet her until my fourth year of college. (laughs) um, I had never had an African-American woman as a faculty member four years in, which is a little bananas and sad all at the same time. But I was on track to become a kindergarten teacher because in my head I was like, oh, I want to be a teacher. And somehow that got translated into I'll be a kindergarten teacher. Well, can you imagine when I met her and she and worked with her, it was like the first time my brain ever formed the thought that someone like me could be a professor. Again, it makes me a little sad to think that, but if you don't see people who look like you doing things, then there's some, it sends this unconscious message that people like you don't do these things. And so seeing someone like me dynamic in front of the classroom and doing her research and she was an endowed chair, so she was incredibly successful. I was just like, wow. And to have that person say, you could do this. You could totally do this. Yeah. <laughs> Here's how it worked. The the encouragement of, of the spirit is so important in, in doing the things mm. that we do. It's usually not a knowledge gap. It's kind of yeah. a courage gap, I think. To go back, you're, yeah. you founded this incredible membership organization, right? Mm-hmm. And you're seeing exponential growth tons of people are joining. It's really filling a need out there in the world. And then at what point do you decide that maybe this is not the thing that you want to keep doing? I hit a point where it was very clear that given the growth in the size of the business, that the organization itself needed somebody with a fundamentally different skill set. Like I think the person who gets something up and running, gets something, you know, from nothing or an idea into a real thing that's making a difference in people's lives, that's there's a skill set to that. And that takes a certain kind of person and I think it was clear to me I was exactly the right person to bring this thing into reality. But the bigger it got, the more complex the organization got. It was just so clear to me that I was the I was the thing standing in the way of growth. How did that um, become this, clear to you? Because honestly, I have contemplative practice and I kept asking the question, what is standing in the way of our growth? And it's funny because the answer kept being me. <laughs> I was like, maybe I just have indigestion or something. <laughs> This couldn't possibly be it's like a mess. bad sandwich or <laughs> divine intervention. I don't know. It's always hard to tell. And I kept getting that message repeatedly. And, you know, part of why it landed with me is because also I kept feeling overwhelmed, overwhelmed like there's too much work to do, but overwhelmed by complexity. I kept I feeling like I literally don't know how to do this thing, right? I don't know I don't even know the questions to ask Mm -hmm. about how to get to the next level. Mm -hmm. I can't even see the next level. I know it's out there, Mm -hmm. but I've run out of vision. Mm -hmm. And even if I can sort of think about it a little bit, I don't know how to get us into the future. I don't know how to get us to the next level. And that's kind of a hard realization, Mm -hmm. right? It hurts a little bit. And at the same time, I would, it hurts me to think that I am the person standing in the way because the work that we do is so transformative to people. How dare I stand in the way? 
Mm -hmm. of more people getting access to that work. The analogy I keep coming to, I mean, I I have a lot of friends who, like me, are founders, and we talk a lot about, you know, when when is it time to go? And my analogy is like, you know, sometimes you you need to send your kid to college. Like, it's painful when you're not going to be the one to help take them to the next level, but like you Mm -hmm. raise them up to this point that you could let go. And it's interesting that you say that because a few people had suggested a similar analogy, which was so pleasing to me because I was a professor. Exactly. This is perfect. (laughs) This works on so many levels. I knew that the people who were going to be the adults in their lives, right, and who were going to help them, you know, really grow into that next version of themselves were awesome people, right? (laughs) So... It doesn't need to be scary, but it needs to happen. There's a sense of loss that comes with it because when your identity has been wrapped up in this thing as the founder for so long, and then you decide that you're not going to be in charge anymore, the founder, the head, whatever it is, it kind of forces you to rethink like, well, how do I define myself if not in relation to this thing I've created? Well, and the distinction I would make is for me, I thought about it as a transition, not just a loss right? Mm -hmm. And so that loss piece for me was embedded in the process of transition. Transitions are challenging, no matter what kind of transition they are. This, I think for founders, is a massive identity transition. It's a professional transition. It's a personal transition. And depending how close it was to your heart, it can be a really deep level transition. And absolutely loss is a stage of transition but it's just one stage. (laughs) There is part of that process is also imagining a new chapter for yourself. A part of it is also evolving into the next version of you that Mm -hmm. is going to be built upon that experience of the organization that you built and everything you learned in the process. So yeah, the loss is real. And it's a real part of an overarching transition process. So let me back up a little bit. So at at what point in the organization's history did you decide that you were going to transition out? And did you internally decide that before you actually made that public to other people? It was probably about five years in, somewhere between four to five years in, that it was clear to me we're going to need to make a transition. I did not communicate that immediately. What I communicated was that we had a level of risk in the organization because I was doing so many things. So I was going out and giving workshops. I was teaching the soul teacher in our main program. I was still doing a lot of outward facing service delivery. So I framed it at first that we needed to de-risk the organization from like, if I got hit by a bus, we'd have a lot of problems, right? So the original framing is let's start to really be building the brand of the organization and de-emphasizing the brand of me. Mm -hmm. And that meant a lot of hiring, a lot of training, a lot of people who had been waiting to take on more responsibility, up-leveling their roles, right? And that project, which was really framed more as removing me from and my my persona from being so central to mm-hmm. the organization, you know, that went on for a good year and a half, two years, because we had to hire a lot of people to replace various functions that I was doing. 
And once, once we had done that, and of course we had kept growing, then it was time for a conversation about my being replaced. And lo and behold, this was not a difficult conversation. Folks were ready for me to go. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> yeah. What did, what did that look like? Well, all I had to ever do was say, I think we have grown to the point that we need a new leader with a new skill set who's going to be able to visualize what the next level is and have the experience and skill to take us there. Mm -hmm. At no point in time did anyone say, I don't think that's true. (laughs) (laughs) At no point in time did anyone say, hey, you could develop those skills. Like, I think it was just really clear to everyone in an organic way without any negative energy around it. Like, Mm -hmm. I was the right person for now. Mm -hmm. And like, I want everyone to be able to keep growing. I'm yes. just not the leader for the next moment. And again, you can hear in my voice, like, I don't feel bad about it. And I don't, I'm not saying it in a way to try to fish compliments out of people or have people try to beg me to stay. Like, yeah. it, it's just, it just is. Yeah. I'm okay with it. And that, I think, gave other people permission to get excited about a new leader. It's funny. I, I don't know if you watch Game of Thrones, but I there's the Night's Watch and when they're done, they go, and now my watch is done. That's sort of how oh. I thought about my organization. Like, now my watch is done. <laughs> I think I'm the only human on earth who doesn't watch Game of Thrones. I, know, I think there are like one or two of you out there. <laughs> but so let me ask you this. When yeah. you decided to leave, did you feel like you had unfinished business? Because I do think... I mean, the nature of the work is it's never done. And I certainly for myself felt like I I left some loose ends untied. Did you feel that way? Yeah, I mean, I felt like there when the actual transition took place, we were in the middle of some big things. I knew I didn't, I wasn't worried those things wouldn't get done, but I knew they would probably end up getting done in a different way, maybe than I would. I think the work the work of the organization, which is really changing the face of Mm -hmm. power in academia, that's a really long-term project. I had never understood myself as someone who's going to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. I understood myself as someone who was bringing something into the world that would help move things forward in that direction. So yeah, absolutely. On a mission level, there was still a huge amount of work to be done. And yet I felt complete, like personally complete mm-hmm. in that my job was to bring it into existence. Mm-hmm. My job was to make it a thing in the world and to make it a thing in the world that actually made a difference in people's lives. The bigger structural projects that it addresses probably won't be solved in my lifetime. Sure. But I kind of knew that going in, yeah. right? Well, I mean, for those of us who try to solve the big social justice problems mm-hmm. in the world, we, we know that it's a much bigger job than any one of us can do. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about Because I I don't often think that in the literature around succession planning and so forth that we ever talk about the emotional work Mm -hmm. that one needs to do in order to successfully transition. So talk to me a little bit about that. I know you mentioned that you had hired a transition coach. Mm -hmm. Curious, what what do they help you do to have all of the feelings so you could go gracefully into the next stage? So 
Let me take one step back, which is to say we had a super intentional transition. My new CEO had his own coach. I had a transition coach and we got a lot of mentoring together, right? Mm. Like about like our couples therapy? Totally. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> and what I loved about it was that the, around our relationship, we're so direct and granular, right? And specific. And so the fact that we really had this explicit conversations, not only about how we were going to be with each other, mm-hmm. but also I can remember one of these mentors saying, you know, the big moment is when the first thing comes up that you would make a different decision than your new CEO. And however the two of you handle that conflict is how it's going to dictate your relationship moving forward. And Carrie Ann, you are extremely expressive in your face. (laughs) You're going to have to learn. You are either going to have to be 100% supportive. Your role is to be supportive of this new leader. But everyone's, especially in the beginning, they're going to be looking to you. And, you know, if you raise an eyebrow, if you roll your eyes, if you sigh deeply, if you roll your neck, whatever it is that you do, they're going to pick up that cue really quickly because they're looking to see how you feel about Mm -hmm. that new leader. So we had, uh, you know, we had our own little couples therapy. He had his executive coach. I had my transition coach. So all the transition coach does is really walk with you through the transition. So I started working with her before he came on board Mm -hmm. and we worked together for a full year because I, in my mind, a year. Yep. Yeah. And we structured it such that every month I would work fewer and fewer days. So I started out working maybe 10 days in a month, and then we phased down a day or two every month. And, you know, it was a really slow transition, but it was really good slow transition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Our organization actually needed that length of time. Okay. So, so it was a year long transition. And when you say your transition coach walked with you, what does that mean exactly? Well, to get to the point about emotions, like it's totally normal in a transition to experience wild roller coaster of emotions because, you know, we talked about it earlier, loss is part of the transition process. So anytime you experience a loss, you know, there's some grieving involved. And, you know, if you experience a loss, any unresolved grief from your past has a way of adding a little extra energy to it. And I had some unresolved loss from the past that just kind of took all of the emotions of loss I was feeling. And it was like it threw gasoline on that fire. Mm. And so you know, what I didn't want to do I and mean, what, what having a coach was so wonderful is that I had a container every week to mm-hmm. have the conversations and process the actual process of transition. And I would rather be a hot mess with her <laughs> than be stuffing it down and it just coming out in all these different ways in my relationships with other people. Carrie Ann, that sounds so incredibly emotionally healthy. It's in reality was kind of a mess, but (laughs) when I look back on it, I think it was a healthy way to move through a transition, Mm -hmm. right? And of course, that coach isn't 
they're not going to just let you stay in the hard parts. Mm -hmm. Part of the goal is to really feel all of the things that come up and to start reimagining who you are and Mm -hmm. who you're going to be. Yeah. And imagining your next chapter and not just imagining it, but like starting to experiment with things, right? Starting to dip your toe in and putting yourself in communities of people that are going to help you to shift your identity to the next level, right? Mm -hmm. So I always like to make that distinction because sometimes people say, oh, it's a loss. Yeah, it's a huge loss. And there's an opportunity there for what's next, And what we don't want to do is get stuck in the loss. Yeah. So as you were envisioning your future in this transition period, what what did that look like for you? Well, you know, at first it looked like just like sleeping a lot. (laughs) Listen, founding an organization is no joke. (laughs) You know, I needed like months of you know, just not having an alarm clock and just like restorative kind of self-care. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there is that phase of it. And then I, you know, I'm ready to start thinking about what's next and start, you know, that's really starts with self-exploration. Like Mm -hmm. it literally starts with who am I? Mm -hmm. What are my gifts and talents? What do I love? What do I care about in the world? What kind of, you know, what are all the different possibilities of how I can be a force for good given who I am and what talents I have? Mm. And of course, there's lots of different possibilities and we mapped out all the possibilities. And then I started talking to people who were doing those things, right? Mm -hmm. As just to get real about what those things in what they involve, like what are they actually like on a daily basis? And then I just designed a series of experiments. Experiments, instead of saying, I am now going to blah, 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 just trying something, right? A low risk, low time intensive way to actually do something. And what I know about myself is however I feel when I'm doing something is a really powerful barometer of whether I'm doing something I'm designed to do or not. My body, I just like my physical feelings, my emotional feelings, they're really clear when I'm, when I'm on my jam. Yeah. 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 What you're saying is resonating so much for me because when I, when I left my organization, there was that that moment of panic and terror, like, oh my God, who am I if I'm not this thing? And then all of a sudden the possibilities of the world rushed in. I was like, I could do anything. I could move to Paris. I could... (laughs) whatever. I'll open a surf shack in Bali. I could do anything. And yet I think the immensity of possibility can also be a little paralyzing too. Like, oh, but what should I do now if I can do anything? Yes. I The word that came to my mind was overwhelming, yeah. right? Because it's like, oh, I literally could do anything, yeah. anything. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a lot of things, right, that could be done. Yeah. So I also think, and I do give credit to my coach because I think the beautiful thing about having somebody guide you through a process is that, you know, they give you constructs that are helpful, like let's lay out the possibilities, not just anything, but the possibilities that emanate from who you are at the core of your being and what you love, right? Mm -hmm. 
And that generates a spectrum of possibilities, but also giving the construct of let's try an experiment. Let's not just declare we are now doing this. Let's stick a toe in the water and see how it is. It lowers the stakes significantly if it's an experiment, not the rest of my life. Exactly. Exactly. And even that metaphor of it's the next chapter, because when I stepped out, I was 40, 45. I'm going to have a, you know, hopefully I will have a number of other chapters of my life. There probably won't be one thing that's the rest of my life. So even Mm -hmm. just thinking, oh, what's the next chapter is actually a very helpful way for me to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. It's, there are many chapters before the end, hopefully. Yes. Yes. How did you feel the day you walked out the door and you were officially done? You know, I don't know if that has really happened. (laughs) (laughs) Because for me, I still, I am still chair of the board. Ah, okay. Uh, So I'm still chair of the board. So I still four times a year, you know, I just had a board meeting this week. So I still exist in an advisory capacity. Mm -hmm. I still exist as a mentor for my new CEO. We talk Mm -hmm. regularly because he's just a super collaborative leader and he loves to chat with me about what he's thinking about and decisions he's making. And we just have a great relationship. We really like each other. So, Oh man, um, that couples therapy really did the trick, eh? (laughs) I just can't even tell you how valuable it was. (laughs) Sounds very healthy. Yeah. So I, I think because we do enjoy each other and we find value in each other's feedback, right? So I do still feel like I am very much a part of what goes on, Mm -hmm. right? And so in that way, it it doesn't necessarily feel like there was a day or a moment that I left and never came back. Got it. So it sounds like you did a lot of things that were right. Were there any things that you would have done differently in the transition? Yeah, I would have done it earlier. You would have left, tried to transition earlier? Why is that? Yeah. Yes, for sure. Because we were, we were well beyond, like we were starting to suffer. I think the organization was starting to suffer from my, my lack of skill in certain areas. I see. When did you leave exactly? Or as if exactly? Uh, November, 2017. Okay. So now it's been a little bit more than a year, year and a half. Mm-hmm. What are you doing now? What's the there on the other side for the oh. listeners who don't know what it feels like <laughs> to be on the other side of this? Well, one of my experiments was doing angel investing. And so, oh. you know, who I am at the core of my being is a mentor. I love to share what I know, what I've learned in a way that will alleviate other people's suffering, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's just, I am not complete until I have shared what I learn with other people. So one of my first experiments was participating in an organization called Pipeline Angels, which is trying to change the face of angel investing. So it's a group of women and mostly women of color who are investing in women and femme-led businesses. So what a great match, right, for my interests. And there's such a strong mentoring component because we invest as a collective. Mm -hmm. So whenever people get the investment, they 
get the pot of money, but they also get a whole squad of angels who can serve as mentors. So at this point, I have nine companies in my portfolio. So wow, I get to look at you, tycoon nine. in the making. <laughs> I get to work with, you know, nine sets of amazing entrepreneurs. So that part I absolutely love. I also started a women in entrepreneurship program at my alma mater to encourage more uh, women to really think about themselves as entrepreneurs at an earlier and earlier stage. So I absolutely love doing that. And honestly, my main activity is that I engage in what I call freestyle mentoring. And I make time every afternoon. I have time set aside to just mentor leaders. And what ends up happening, I have no idea how people find me, but I get calls from people who... Wow, we just... might include your information in the show. <laughs> you might get a whole lot more calls. I hope that's okay. It is. I get calls from people who really just want a... They just want a mentoring conversation, right? Mm -hmm. They have an issue. They have a concern. They just need somebody who's not involved in it directly, mm -hmm. um, doesn't have a stake in the game, and who has knowledge in their area to just talk, you know, just to have a conversation focused on them yeah, and really figuring out how to move forward. And I just love that. <laughs> I, I love that you... I mean, the feeling I'm getting for you is that there's such joy in your life and in your being. And so for the listeners out there who have a little bit of fear and trepidation about what happens next, there's a there there on the other yeah. side. Carrie Ann is absolutely an example. And so Carrie Ann, the other thing is I want to say that we should have another conversation about women of color in entrepreneurship because I think that's just- Yes, I would love example. that. So any last thoughts as, as we sign off? Yeah, I think really- there's probably somebody listening who knows it's time to go and is just afraid of the transition. Yeah. And I think probably the last thing I would say is don't be afraid of the transition. Like it is work, but if you actually start thinking and even reading about transition processes, there is a process to it. There are stages to it. And when you get on the other side, it's, it's really quite delicious. Yeah. <laughs> so they're really isn't anything to fear. And maybe the last thing I'll say is I absolutely love, I think there's nothing more gratifying than seeing my organization has grown so much. And more than anything, my team has just flourished under a new leader. And so really just getting real about how delightful it will also be to see the organization you care so deeply about, be able to grow and expand and have impact in completely different ways with a new person. That's so beautiful. And Carrie Ann, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate oh. it. Your wisdom will resonate with everyone. So we'll make sure to put your info in the show notes. Sure. So folks will know how to find you, but thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Oh, it's a pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 